Well, I want to give a quick, quick shout out to those that are listening or watching online, especially our college students. Uh, remember, call your mothers. Can I keep saying that till you remember and uh, connect with them? Also, want to say a, just a real big thanks to each of you that took the time to either jot a note or send us a card uh, or an email or different creative ways that you communicated just appreciation for our staff. I just want you to know our team, I speak on behalf of all of them. They wish they could be saying the same thing to you today. Thank you so much for your kindness and for your thoughts and the things that you've done <clears throat> over this last month. It's, uh, we are appreciated and we feel it, just so you know. So thank you so much for doing that. Um, I'm really excited about this new series. The Lord has been laying this idea on my heart for a long time, and I'm going to try and do my best to provide an introduction to where we're going to go over the next five weeks together during this month. <clears throat> Did you know that, uh, or that uh, November is uh, adoption month? Did you know that? <clears throat> and so uh, over the last about year and a half or so, the Lord has really been challenging me to take a quick, a uh, little closer look at what it means to be adopted into the family of God. And I've got to tell you that over the course of my study, I've only been able to find two good books that talk about the theology of what it means to be adopted, and uh, uh, one chapter in another book that was really good, very few messages. I've never heard a message on this, and I've been going to church for a long time. And so I'm really excited to share with you some things that I think have the potential to really impact your life personally. I believe that understanding this picture that God gives us with this word adopted uh, is a very powerful one. And my prayer is that this would be an opportunity for you to take a step closer to Jesus than you've ever been before. But what I also want to challenge you with, and that's why for those of you that subscribe to our e-newsletter, we also communicated to you this week that this would be a good series to invite somebody that you know, a friend, a neighbor, someone you know that just maybe they, they're going through a tough time in their life, maybe they need to know more about Jesus. This is a great opportunity to do that because this series is going to provide an opportunity uh, for you and I to take a closer look at our relationship with him. So to kind of set the tone to help you understand where we're going, <clears throat> I want to share with you a story, a story that started in 1915, an entrepreneur, a Texas rancher, his name was Ira Yates, and Ira had a, a dry goods store, and you could think about this back in 1915 that was turning somewhere between five and $6,000 a month. Think about that. That was a big deal back then. This is a thriving business, but Ira always wanted to be a rancher. And so Ira took this thriving business and traded it for 16,640 acres in rural Texas because he wanted to be a rancher. And over the course of time, things got really tight and things got very challenging and difficult for his family because of the responsibilities of maintaining the ranch and all of the expenses that go with that. And they really fell onto some very, very hard times and they were in danger of losing their ranch. And in an effort to try and somehow salvage that situation, uh, Ira called the Transcontinental Oil Company and told them that he would like to pay for them to drill on his property. And everyone thought that that was the most ridiculous idea because there had been no oil found uh, in that particular area. He had no, no other choice, and this was kind of a last-ditch effort. And so the oil company came, and they drilled their first well to no avail. There was no oil, and so people began mocking the effort of drilling oil on this ranch, and so he asked them if they would drill another well, and they, they did, and, and uh, they were running out of money, uh, and uh, they found no oil. And so he, kind of three strikes and out mentality, said, just one more time, will you drill in this spot? Drill in this spot and try for the third time to find oil. And some of you may know <clears throat> this story. They struck oil. They struck one of the largest reservoirs of oil in our country, 
As a matter of fact, that still to date, this oil well is producing, and it has produced over a billion barrels of oil. Could you imagine what that must have been like? Instantaneously, overnight, Ira went from struggling and risk of losing his ranch to one of the most wealthy individuals in our country because there was resource that he didn't even know was there. Now, the reason that I want to share with you the idea and the theology of adoption is that I have a fear that for many of us, we don't even know the reservoir of what's there. And it's worth more. It's worth way more than a big pool of oil because this has eternity in mind and it has today in mind in terms of the way that you and I embrace our understanding of what it means to be in relationship with the Lord. And that's why I believe that this picture for us is so critical. So much of our relationship with God goes uncovered and there is so much value there, and that's why this series is going to be so important. We're going to take a look at this month, the understanding of what it means to be in God's family. So to help me uh, kind of explain where we're going, <clears throat> some of you perhaps have read this incredible book. If you're a leader of anything, even a leader in a, your own family, which is all of us, so make sure you read this book. It's a great book. And it's, a, it's a, a book called Start With Why. It's a business book. Simon Sinek wrote this book, very popular. Um, and basically his idea, if you see this uh, image behind me, is that most corporations will understand what they are doing. They understand what they're doing. We are a church, and we do church services, and we do uh, opportunities for our kids and our youth to learn more about. We understand what we're doing. And a lot of times, organizations and even a company, think about some of the companies you work for, you know how they do that. You know how they're doing their job. You know how we do it. We, we, we do services on the weekend, so we our band practices, and I go over my sermons a bunch, and the kids' ministry gets volunteer. You know, we think about how we do it. Think about your business, about how you do your business. But here's the problem. All too often, we lose track of the why. Why are we doing what we're doing? Think about your business. Think about your organization. Think about your family. The why is critically important. If you're a school teacher... The why behind it is that kids matter and education is important. And if you get that out of focus, look at me, you become a bad teacher. If I forget why I'm doing what I'm doing, that people's lives and souls matter, and I stand up here and teach because I want you to understand that God loves you and eternity hangs in the balance, if I get that lost, I'm a really bad pastor. We've got to understand the why. And well, I believe there's a reason why in Scripture the idea of what it means to be adopted is there. And so we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about this, that, this, this month. To understand the why of adoption, you really have to see this clear transition that takes place as you read the Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament. It's earth-shattering, unbelievably amazing, and God wants us to understand this. Basically, if you look at the Old Testament... Uh, the thought of God's holiness is clearly communicated. This doesn't change as we get to the New Testament, but God's holiness is clearly seen. Basically, human beings, because of their weaknesses as creatures and our sinful nature as humanity, must learn to humble ourselves before a holy God. And we see that all throughout the Old Testament. And that's an important thing for us to see. That never changes. We still have a holy God. But he so wants to be in relationship with us that things begin to change when we get into the New Testament in terms of our ability to have personal relationship with God that looks so different. 
Remember in philosophy class, you may have debated, maybe even had to write papers about which came first, the chicken or the egg? Remember doing that? That was really helpful, wasn't it? Very productive. A similar question also applies in our relationship with God. Which came first? Man's need for a relationship with God or God's desire to be in relationship with us? It's an important question, and there is a distinction there. As a matter of fact, we can see the answer to that in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. You might want to write that down if you're taking notes today. We love because he first loved us. We want to understand the why behind what it means to be in God's family. You need to start there. He loves you. Somebody needed to hear that today. Because it could be that right now you don't feel very lovable. But he loves you dearly. And so he would provide an opportunity for you and I to be in right relationship with him. Once we get to the New Testament, everything changes. God and religion are no less than they were before. And the holiness of God is definitely there. But something has been added. Something has changed. And now, this very special thing, this vitally important thing, this life-changing thing for us is that all of a sudden, because of God's incredible love for us, because he loves us enough to send his son, now we have a totally different type of relationship with God. If you read the New Testament, you know the message has changed. Our relationship with him has changed. And now there's an entirely different word picture that's there for us where God is now described as our heavenly father. Matter of fact, if you talk to theologians, they'll tell you that father might be too formal of a word. That it's more like he's our heavenly daddy. That means something very different, and we need to get our arms around that. Now, I need to tell you that when I say that, I know that we all have very, very different relationships, earthly speaking, with our dads. We've all had different kind of family dynamics, and when I say that, for some of you, you're like, oh, I get it, that's awesome. And for some, it's like, boy, Doug, if I could tell you your story, you know, that's a, that's a tough word picture for me because maybe there's loss there or grief there, or maybe that relationship wasn't what you had hoped it would be. And I I would just say to you that if you're here today and there's some kind of strain or there was or there's some kind of hole there because dad's not there anymore or whatever, however that might look like, I understand that. That's my dad. He has Alzheimer's. I wish I could still have relationship with my dad the way I used to. And so sometimes this metaphor is hard for me. It's more than a metaphor. This theology is hard for me because I miss my dad. But wherever you find yourself in the dynamics of this earthly relationship today, I want you to know that there is something very different in our perfect heavenly daddy. Regardless of what you have experienced, there's an opportunity here today for you to understand dad in an entirely different way. We're his kids. We are his sons and his daughters and we are his heirs. And my main thought today, if you have your journey guides, you can pull them out, is this. God wants me to know I'm in the family. You need to hear that. It needs to go from here to here. You are in the family. And when he says that you're adopted, we're going to understand this entirely differently today than perhaps ever before. Now there's a danger. You see, there's a danger because of some of the way that you and I have been brought up. 
And this is what I think is the key to understanding this adoptive idea. <clears throat> See, some of you have had some really incredible upbringings. Some of you, like me, you, you, you were raised in church. Man, I was drugged to church when every time the door was open and I heard some very scary messages about how I needed to live very holy and right. And if I didn't, this big guy in the sky was going to get me. Some of you know what I'm talking about, like this cosmic cop up there that's ready to swing and swing hard. <clears throat> live with some fear. The old fire. And some of you are just really good Catholics. And you were raised entirely different than I was, but you still have the same fear that I have. And if you didn't do it right, and you didn't get to church, and you didn't do it the way you were told, and make sure everybody was happy and go through all of the rituals of everything, then you would just feel a really high dose of guilt. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Here's the fear. If this is true, and there's a transition between this God that was holy and set apart and far away. And now we get to the New Testament and we're told, believe this, this is incredible, that we can now boldly and confidently walk into the presence of our God. If we don't have this right, I believe that we're missing out on what God wants for us. And he, God understands how important it is for this transition to happen because he would send his son to die so that we could have it. And if we're stuck in our fire and brimstone or old good Catholic upbringing and it's preventing us, stiff-arming us from a relationship with the Lord that he wants us to have, the enemy is winning out here and it's not okay. Let me try and explain it this way. Have you ever been guilty? You guys know how it feels to be guilty. Great feeling, isn't it? Don't you love to walk into a room and know you're guilty? Or like, for example, when you were a kid and you did something wrong and your mom said those God-forsaken words, I'm going to tell your father about this when he gets home. And then you live the rest of your day with fear and trepidation of dad coming home, right? One time, and some of you that have been around Plum Creek a while, you've heard me because this is such a form, I mean, this is such an amazing experience in my life. I'll never forget it. Not amazing is the wrong word, but it was just like I learned a very important lesson. I have a brother, his name is Matt, he's 17 months older than I am, <clears throat> and we were really tight, good buddies. I just prayed with him on the phone here just a minute ago before services start. He's, he's a pastor in Salt Lake City, so he's getting ready to get up and share his message this weekend too. We're really close, he's a great guy, but he was an instigator. I was a really good kid, <clears throat> and uh, he was an instigator. Someday he'll tell this story, and I'm sure it'll be the exact opposite of that. So I got to remind you, I was in first grade, he was in second grade, and my brother was always fighting a battle somewhere, and I was always tagging along to help him in his battle. And what had happened was, my, my grandfather on my mother's side, Grandpa Wallenfeld, was a paint salesman in rural Illinois, and he sold paint primarily to farmers, so he sold a lot of red paint, but uh, he was a, a paint salesman. And uh, our house, we lived in, in Wheaton, Illinois, needed a paint job bad, and so my grandpa, out of season, it was more towards the winter time, got this great deal on paint, and he told uh, my dad that he could give him the smoking deal. So my dad bought somewhere between 15 to 20 gallons of paint, oil-based paint, you know, that's old school, uh, oil-based paint, and put it in the basement. And our basement was kind of dark and dingy, not the kind of basement that you would ever, like, want to remodel. It was just kind of not, it was an old house, old house. So you can imagine we would play down there, and there was monsters down there and all kinds of stuff. And so this, is, this story really is ultimately my mom and dad's fault, not our fault, just saying. Because what happened was, my brother Matt was fighting a battle, and somehow, first and second grade, he found my dad's machete, right? So, like, that's a parenting problem, right? I said that last night with my mom here, and she just smiled, right? 
And so somehow my, my second grade brother found my dad's machete and somehow we snuck through the house with dad's machete and got to the basement. Again, bad parenting, I would say. So we end up, and again, not our fault. They let us have this machete somehow. And uh, we ended up in the basement fighting a battle. And so my brother and I were taking turns fighting the battle on these boxes that were laying on the floor in our basement. So we were like, die, yeah, die, you know, and chopping up these boxes, poking holes ultimately in my dad's paint cans. Because it was oil-based paint, my grandfather had encouraged my dad that every couple of weeks to flip the boxes over so that the oil would move its way through the can, keeping the paint ready for painting the house in the spring. So my dad went down into the basement. And again, this was weeks after we won a really important battle in the basement against the bad guys, and flipped the, the, can, the, the boxes of paint over. And you could imagine the paint spilling onto the floor. And I just, when I was re- rehashing this in my mind this week, I was thinking I just wish that I could go back and somehow see my daddy's face as that was happening with like great confusion as to how there could be paint spilling on the floor, only to open the boxes and realize that... Uh, there were machete holes in uh, virtually every single game. I can't even imagine. And so there was this eruption from the basement that only those that have a, a military-trained father would understand. And uh, it was like there was like fumes and fire and loud noises. And, and we were summoned to the basement, which could never be a good thing. And of course, this is weeks after we had fought this battle. Unbeknowing to us, Dad wanted to know how there were holes in the paint buckets. And all I did was point at Matt. Like, he's the one. He, he told me to do it, right? And so Dad was so ticked. And we got spankings, which we deserved. And uh, he was so frustrated. Had to run out and buy all new paint cans for those uh, buckets of paint. And uh, we were guilty. And I was scared. I was scared of my dad. Because he was mad. And some of you are scared of your heavenly father. The coolest thing about the way my dad parented us was that even when we so deserved to get punished, which we did, there was always some very intimate moments right after that where he would embrace us, he would tell us that he loved us, and he would help us to feel comfortable approaching him again. The problem is that for some of us, we're very stuck in a very guilty mentality, and our upbringing has kind of brainwashed us a little bit in terms of our understanding of what it means to be in relationship with our Heavenly Father. And for some of us that are here today, we've never experienced intimacy with God the way He wants us to experience it because we are at an arm's length away from Him, afraid to get too close because for whatever reason, we have learned that it's not safe there. And I've got to tell you that that has to change. If you want to understand the heart of our Heavenly Father, it is that you and I would be in a very personal and intimate relationship with Him. Listen to Ephesians chapter 3. Because of Christ and our faith in Him, not because of anything that you've done, because of Christ and our faith in Him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. 
By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most high place that is communicating to us the most intimate place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Look at me. Stop feeling guilty. He paid a price. He sent his son. And when we say yes to him and fully embrace what he did on that cross, you can boldly and confidently walk into the presence of your heavenly father. Don't hold him at arm's length. Don't stiff arm him. Learn what it means to be in personal relationship with him that has that kind of depth of intimacy and it will forever change your life. I'm afraid that many of us spend the bulk of our lives living with an Old Testament perspective of what it means to be in relationship with him rather than fully embracing the work of Christ. Our enemy loves it when we don't do this right because you can't know Jesus the way you're supposed to unless you're in this type of relationship. So all of a sudden then, the Apostle Paul, when he's trying to unpack for us what it means to be in relationship with God, would put this word adopted right in the same sentences as other very powerful theological terms. Look at Ephesians chapter one. Even before he made the world, think about that, before he made the world, God loved us and chose us. Do you remember how it feels to be chosen? Think back to the playground. Finally, I got picked to be on somebody's team. Or do you remember, gals, how it felt to be asked out that first time somebody chose you? And guys, do you remember when they said yes? Oh, thank you, Jesus. There's something very awesome about the opportunity to be chosen, and God chose us. He loved us and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. That is awesome. We were far away and he said, it's not good enough, I want you closer. This is what he wanted to do. Now look at this next statement. If you miss this, you miss the whole message. And it gave him great pleasure. Oh, Jesus, thank you. Now we understand the heart of our heavenly daddy different. Before the world began, he chose you. He chose me. And he wanted to use the word adopted so we could understand that choosing and that in doing this, he chose us and it brought us into his family. And for however this works, it brings him great pleasure. How are we responding to this? How are we allowing this to develop in our minds and our hearts to understand what it means to be in the family, to be in relationship in our world today? This is such a messed up thing because we add and subtract friends with the click of a mouse. He chose you, and it brings him great pleasure. What does it mean to be in family, the quality or the state of being related, a continuing attachment or association between persons? God got this started in the Old Testament, and it comes to fruition 
in the New Testament, and he wants me, he wants you to know that we are in the family. In 1 John chapter 3, it says this, verse 1, See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't, uh, they don't know him. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what will we be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really, as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. Why? 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 Why adoption into his family? Because he wants you there. He loves you. He chose you before the creation of the world. And it brings him great pleasure. There was a story that ran in the AP and from London. It was a Wednesday. And somehow they found out that these two kids, Lauren and Ashton Mills, 10-year-old twins, made an appeal in the situation's vacant column in the newspaper in London. And this is what the ad said. Kids and dog for hire. Life-term contract. Sad loser people need not apply. It caught the attention of folks, and you see as they dug into the story just a little bit more, they learned that these two kids, their dad had passed away and their mom was diagnosed with breast cancer that had spread to her liver. They knew that their mom didn't have much time to live, so they placed this ad in the newspaper. By the next day, they had thousands of potential foster families that had responded to the ad that the twins had put in the paper. And when the news people came and talked to them about it, this is what they said. Ashton said, we both know that soon we'll be going to need someone to be our new mom and dad. And I want somebody who will listen, someone who doesn't lose their temper for no reason, and I don't want them to be as strict as mom can be. <laughs> and when we hear that story, there's something that happens in us. And we all kind of like, oh man. I would venture to guess that many of you would have probably responded to that ad too. Because when we hear the need that these kids had, there's something inside of us that triggers because embedded in the DNA of who we are, God has created us to be people that crave relationship, to crave family relationship, and to have that be right. Some of you understand what it means to have a void there that's real to you. And now you're beginning to see clearly that not only is that an earthly thing, but there's a heavenly dynamic at place here that is eternal, that God wants us to be in his family, and it gives him great pleasure. This grabs our hearts because that's how we're created. God wants me to know that I'm in the family. So for whatever reason, the Bible paints an amazing picture for us of what it means to understand what it means to be in relationship with God. And it used these big theological terms like justification and sanctification and regeneration and calling and conversion and union with Christ. And, and in the same verses, in the same context, there is this word adoption. That you and I have been adopted into the family of God. And so just as God does, he provided for me an incredible opportunity this week to have a heart connection with this whole father thing again. And you'd think you'd get better at this round two, but I'm not. And uh, my second son, Luke, had his last high school football game on Thursday night. 
they had a tough season. <clears throat> Luke played well. A lot of collective individual efforts that could go noticed for sure across the board on that team. But overall, it was a disappointing season as far as wins and losses go. <clears throat> they didn't make the playoffs, and so on Thursday, they had a play-in game, and, and it was a tough game. They played hard, uh, but it was a tough game. And as parents, we were sitting in the stands, and you know we could see the kids were down. They were frustrated. They didn't want to lose another game. You could see that on their faces. And um, they went into the locker room at halftime, and I just so wanted to talk to Luke. And so uh, I uh, decided that with about four minutes to go at halftime, I was going to strategically go to the bathroom. <clears throat> and we were playing at Jeffco Stadium. Some of you have been there before, and you know how that works. They have to kind of run underneath the stadium to get to the locker room. And so the bathrooms, fortunately, were right under the stadium as well. And so I kind of walked my way down there. And it uh, wasn't too much after I got down into the the underside of the stadium that I heard the clickety-clack of the cleats, and I looked up, and Luke was like the second one out of the locker room, and our eyes met. And I did like that. And he had his helmet on. And we went over to each other. I gave him a big hug. And he smelled really bad. <laughs> and he had his helmet on. I put my head right on his helmet. And I looked him right in the eyes. And I said, Luke, I want you to know I love you. And I am so stinking proud of you. And it stinks that this is your last game. but I want you to play the second half with all your heart. I want you to play because you have pride in, and you have teammates that need you to play hard. And I want you to play hard knowing that daddy's here watching. And when you walk off that field, I just want you to walk off proud knowing you gave it everything that you got. He was crying. And he said, I will, dad. And he kind of gave me a stinky hug a little tighter. And he turned it off and he ran onto the field. And it was incredible. And I know that for some of you today, you're wishing, right now you're thinking, you know, I wish I could have had a moment like that with my dad. Or maybe you're saying to yourself, I wish that I could have another moment like that with my dad. That's how I feel. Maybe some of you are thinking about your kids that are gone. Maybe some of you are thinking about your kids that are still home. But what I want you to think about is your Heavenly Father who wants to wrap His arms around your stinky shoulders and pull you close. Could you imagine what would have happened if I would have had that moment with Luke and he would have pushed me away? That's what we do to God sometimes. Push Him away. We dare not come close because we're afraid. But our Heavenly Father wants to hold us close, put His head on our helmet, and say, I love you. I'm proud of you. My relationship with you gives me 
great pleasure. So as we unpack what this means in Scripture, we see that there is this terminology that is used in three different occasions in Scripture. Terminology that theological theologians will tell us this Abba Father. Have you guys heard that before? Abba Father. It means Daddy, Daddy, theologians. Very intimate relationship. J.I. Packer said this, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as a father. The first time we see this intimacy comes from the voice of the Heavenly Father to His Son kind of the other direction. I am your heavenly daddy and I am proud of you just like I had that moment with, with Luke. Jesus is being baptized and in Matthew chapter three after his baptism, Jesus came up out of the water. The heavens were open and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. For those of you that love theology, that's the Trinity. It's one of the few times we see all three in the same scripture verses. But what I want you to see is this. This is the heavenly father speaking. He says, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. It's a very intimate moment between the Heavenly Father and His Son. Fast forward to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane praying before He heads to the cross. And we see this, these terms of endearment again, the depth of relationship between the Heavenly Father and His Son in Mark chapter 14. And it says, He went on a little further and He fell to the ground and He prayed that if it were possible, the offer hour awaiting Him might pass Him by. Look how Jesus prayed. He said, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy. Everything is possible for you. Intimacy of relationship. Powerful, powerful moment between Him and His Heavenly Father. Now let me take you to the third instance in Romans chapter 8, verse 15. And now, it's about you. It's about your relationship with your Heavenly Father. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now, we call Him Daddy, Daddy. My prayer is that you feel that today. What does it mean to be a Christ follower? That question could be answered in many ways, but the richest answer I know is an individual that knows God as his Father. God wants me, and he wants you to know that you're in the family. So I'd venture to guess that we have some response that's needed today. I know I do. And maybe for some of you, you're here and you've never been in a personal relationship with the Lord before. And as you hear this message and you hear this challenge, you're realizing that you don't have that kind of walk. You've never had that. Well, maybe when I described some of those other uh, relationships at arm's length, you get that because you felt that. Maybe you've never personally asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. I'm going to give you a chance in just a moment to do that. And for some of you, for me, I know this is true. We need to reevaluate our relationship with God and understand he's not meant to be kept at arm's distance. That it brings him great pleasure that before the world began, he chose you and he wants to be in relationship with you. Stop keeping him far away. Move towards him. Let him embrace you. Understand 
depth and intimacy of relationship with him like you never have before. We bow your heads for just a moment. Maybe you would say, you know, Doug, I've never accepted Christ as my Savior before, and I need to do that today. I want, I want this relationship you're talking about. You've never done this before. And in these moments, you know that's why you're here today. Everybody's heads bowed, eyes closed. If that's you and you'd say, Doug, I want to pray today that I would start a relationship with the Lord. I've never done that before. I need to do that. Would you just raise your hand? Everybody's heads bowed, eyes are closed. Thanks. Anybody else? You can put them back down. Anyone else? I'm going to pray with you in just a second. The second group would be, you know what, Doug? I needed to be reminded of this today. Or maybe I didn't know this. And I need to spend some time processing that this week. Because I want to take my relationship with God to a new place, knowing that he loves me. If that's you, everybody's heads bowed, eyes closed. Just shoot your hands up real quick. Yeah. Father, first of all, I thank you for your love for us, that you chose me, that you chose us, and that however that works out, that relationship brings you great pleasure. Help me to remember that this week. Lord, for those that raised their hand first and said they wanted to begin a relationship with you, we thank you for how you've already moved towards us. And now we want to move towards you. And I pray for an intimate moment where we say yes to you today. If that's you and you raised your hand at first, or maybe you didn't raise your hand and you know you need to to make this decision and pray this prayer, just pray with me right now. Lord, I know I need you. I know I've fallen short of your perfect standard. And I don't want you to be somebody far away anymore. So I ask you to forgive me and I thank you that you sent your son to die so that today I could claim that work on the cross as being done for me. I thank you. I embrace that today. And I ask you to help me as I take these steps in my faith journey towards you. Help me to understand what it means to be in relationship with you. Help me to not be far from you, but to be close to you. And Lord, for the rest of us, those especially that raise their hands today as we head into the week that lies ahead, Lord, help us to remember what an incredible God you are and that we bring you pleasure. Help us to draw close to you. Stephen's gonna sing a song and there's a a prayer on the screen and I want you to, at some moment as he sings this song, it's gonna be short, but gonna be quick. I want you to, to just verbalize this prayer to the Lord and then I want you to remember it throughout the course of this week and I want you to pray this prayer sometime or maybe multiple times as we go throughout our week. Lord, we thank you for your love. Help us to remember this week how much you love us. Help us to move towards you this week, not away from you. Help this to be real. 
Thank you for being our heavenly daddy. Help us to fully embrace that this week. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray together.